Hello again and welcome. In this podcast, we discuss Out of the Bottle, the memoir of Londoner Graham Webb, an entrepreneur who overcame the challenges of spina bifida to become a hair industry icon. Join in our chat with Graham and listen as he reads from the book. This is episode 9. Hello, Graham. During our last conversation, we discussed the genesis of your traveling hair show team. Let's chat further about showmanship and storytelling. You've done countless public speeches, and in your book, Out of the Bottle, you talk about techniques to captivate an audience. What I refer to in showing America in terms of working with audiences, um, there's been a transition from this, because in the audiences that I now speak to, I bring other things into it, and I'm, I, I talk obviously about um, in in a way of trying to share that I wore diapers and stuff like that. Um, I bring all those things in with a little bit of humour. So, for example, if I'd already done a show in that city before, I kind of assume that some of the people will have heard me before. And so I'll say to the audience something like, well, it's really lovely to be back in Kansas City or wherever. Last time I was here, I can remember quite a lot of you ladies looking at me fairly closely, thinking, hmm, he's very well endowed, you know, sort of Tom Jones style. Um, I said, but the facts are I was wearing bigger and bigger diapers or nappies and uh, and I don't have to wear them now. And it, it's a kind of humorous way of, of uh, making the point. And they always laugh when I, when I say the first bit of it. But the point I'm trying to make is that I was wearing diapers last time I was there. And it's just extraordinary how many people in an audience or immediate friends or family of an audience will have somebody wearing diapers. And that is the powerful part of how people receive it. Because when you've got somebody who's perceived to be successful, who's looking smart, in a suit and tie and all the rest of it, to be willing to reveal human personal things like that, it does hit people in the audience. I say a similar funny thing when I talk about um, earlier in my life having a degree of... uh, lack of confidence down below, you know, with women. And uh, sometimes I'll get a book out that uh, I picked up and I'll say something silly like, well, as I was trying to get confidence with women, I bought a a range of different books to give me confidence. And sometimes I'll hold one up and it's called Everything Men Understand About Women. And I hold the book up and then I'll flick all the pages open so the audience can see it and every page is blank. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it gets a real laugh from the audience. It's not being rude to women. It's, it's, uh, it's um, confirming the mystery that us guys feel um, with, uh, with women. And uh, sometimes I'll say that um, as an incontinent, uh, I, I lacked confidence down below. And uh, uh, the neurosurgeon said to my wife and I that we were unlikely to be able to have children. And we had four. And sometimes I say, well, everything has always worked okay. You know what I mean, ladies? And it always gets a big laugh. But I then say, but perhaps the neurosurgeon saw some nerve endings hanging off or something which weren't hanging off. And and uh, so it's another way of being able to share that it can be done. 
it's really using humor as a way to engage uh, your audience. To put a little risque um, edge to it is good when you're giving a speech to an audience, especially when there's a lot of women in the audience, as there often are. Sure, exciting, titillating. The audience is definitely listening to you. Oh, if I stood up talking about shampoo, polypeptides, the ingredient of a bottle of shampoo, and uh, self-catheterization and diapers, I mean, who'd want to stand listening to that? But if you can bring it in and weave it in with other things, um, things that people in the audience actually relate to. And when I first started doing this, I didn't really think they'd relate to it. And it's really surprised me what a large percentage of any audience will have an entrepreneur or a would-be entrepreneur or a dad or themselves or a, a relative or a friend that's got one of the different things that I might refer to in a speech. That's what makes it work. I imagine your English accent goes over well with American audiences. We do have that special relationship, and there is a marketing plus, I think, for Brits who operate in the United States. I mean, we always have the, the jokes, the two-way jokes, and, you know, they ask me if we've got inside toilets in England or, you know, do we have electricity? And when you give the phone number or your postcode, they go, oh, gee, is that a postcode? And they go, that's neat. You say, well, it's not. It's not. 400 million people have got it like that. But, you know, we have a few jokes like that. But um, with the music from London and the history and the art and, and uh, you know, we're quaint, you know, and whatever it is they, they perceive in us. And, of course, we can uh, fire back in the other direction with the noisy yanks or whatever. So it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great ongoing relationship, I think, between Brits and those in North America, be that Canada or, or the States. And uh, I'm sure there would be places where you'd have to sort of walk, work extra hard to get a vibe. But it, it seems to be a natural thing between the Americans and the Brits. Great, let's dive in and hear some from the Showing America chapter. Learn more about your techniques on engaging an audience. People love to be entertained. You could have the most brilliant stylists, but if they talk in monotones or are too full of their own importance, and if they can't figure out a way to engage the audience, whatever they say will be lost. Whether it's visiting salons or presenting a show, I've always metaphorically put customers on the pedestal rather than myself. I believe they're aware and appreciative of this approach. I knew all this instinctively, and my hair shows put a premium on showmanship. We always had plenty of upbeat music in our shows, usually emphasising our English roots. I used to particularly like the team strutting out to the Beatles song Penny Lane, or to Rod Stewart's cover of The First Cut Is The Deepest. I chose Slides of London, perhaps to the tune of Greensleeves, and loosen up the audience with some humour, in the British accent that Americans usually say they love. Of course, I usually quip that I don't have an accent. I'd tell a few jokes, 
trying to pick up on a name of somebody at the event and sort of teasing them in a friendly way. And it was always worth a laugh to point out the funny differences between the ways Americans and Brits speak. I had a strange look from the lady at the front desk at the hotel last night, I say, when I asked her, would you please knock me up at 6.30 tomorrow morning? The part of a hairstyle that people in the UK refer to as a fringe is called a bang in America. We have a different meaning for the word bang in England, I'd say, looking naughtily at the smiling team members on stage with me. Some racy or cheeky humour always goes down well at hair shows, but I also found it good to poke some fun at myself. My children, as always, were an inspiration to me, and it was during these shows that Mandy and I had our third child, who would always be theatrical in her own ways. Harriet, whom we immediately began calling Hattie, was born in June 1981 and quickly made her presence known in the family with her loud voice and unpredictable impish behaviour. When Charlie, my oldest daughter, went to school, she had to write a composition about what her dad did for a living. My daddy has blackish-brownish hair. His hobby is going to the office and photocopying things. He is quite fat. He likes reading in bed. He would like to be rich. Daddy is very funny most of the time, except when my sister Hattie does a wee-wee on Granny's best carpet, and then Daddy gets foaming. I saved what Charlie wrote and have used it in countless shows as an icebreaker, a counterpoint to the glitzy production number that usually opened the show and introduced me. In fact, I still sometimes use it today in public talks. Thanks, Charlie. I was part MC, part cheerleader for the industry and part stand-up comedian. A woman came into the salon the other day, I'd say, and she said she wanted to look like Barbara Streisand. So I grabbed a big hairbrush and broke her nose in three places. Of course, I wasn't even cutting hair at the time, so when we came out on stage, builders Graham Webb and his artistic team, some of the people in the audience expected me to be brandishing a pair of scissors and would act surprised or disappointed that I wasn't cutting hair. As if I were the real artist in the bunch. I didn't tell them that I'd never wanted to be a hairdresser and that what I wanted to be was a salesperson and entrepreneur. But I learned what every good salesman learns and that's to put any negative thought out of the way early on and to turn it into a positive. Hello everyone, I'd like you to meet my team. Then, after introducing them, I'd say, I'm not suggesting this is the only way but for me, one of the best things I've ever done as a salon owner after 10 years cutting hair was to wean myself off of the chair. Because in a training-based company, as we are, we turn out many skilled stylists, as I'm sure you also find 
there are always more creative people in one's salons than those who are in management or who aspire to be. I could see many of the audience agreeing with me. So I continued, I've brought some of those creative people from England with me today, so now let's see them at work. Now I've got the crowd cheering, and nobody's wondering why Graham Webb isn't doing his own snipping anymore. Our second trip to America was for the New York Beauty Show, held at the time at the New York Coliseum. One of the fellow guest artists was a larger-than-life character who went under the stage name Xenon, and people said he was one in a million. As it happens, the name is actually taken from the gaseous element which makes up one part in 20 million in the air and is present in the Martian atmosphere. It is now used in stroboscopic lamps. I note that the original Zeno of Elia was a Greek philosopher 2,500 years ago, famed for paradoxical arguments about motion. No surprise then that Zenon was kinetic on stage, a loud, tall, expatriate Brit with a flamboyant appearance punctuated by his hair, which was dyed jet black. Matching his hair were his tight black leather trousers, in which an Elizabethan codpiece would not have been amiss. Everybody loved Xenon for the contagious good spirit and energy that followed him wherever he went. And my team, whom Xenon referred to as Graham and the Weblets, became kindred spirits. Over the years, we'd continually cross paths during hundreds of hair shows, and he would frequently interrupt our presentation with an impromptu testimonial about our show, done in his wacky, humorous way. And I would do the same for him when his team was on stage. For more information about purchasing Out of the Bottle, visit gramweb.co.uk. Profits from the sale of Out of the Bottle go to benefit a variety of charities, including those seeking to find a cure for spina bifida.